So welcome. We're glad you're here. We really are. We're going to continue on in our study in Acts. I want you to do so with me. The fourth chapter of Acts will begin at verse 23. This is a sermon on the church's prayer. Of all the prayers in the New Testament church, this is one that really ought to be prayed by us and by all churches today in the 21st century. This is a prayer that I think we need to heed its impact. Look with me at the 23rd verse of chapter 4 of the Gospel of Acts. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you have made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and why do the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So we're going to pick it up here where Peter and John have just returned to the place where the people were gathered. Don't know where they were gathered exactly. Could have been the upper room. Could have been another uh, locale. We don't really know. But the point is, is that the followers of Jesus Christ were gathered together and probably already in prayer for Peter and John. And the Bible says on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. They went back to their own. Who were their own people? Followers of Jesus Christ, disciples of Jesus. People who had made that profession of faith in Christ Jesus and who were intent on following him. They gathered together. They met in spite of opposition, in spite of of all of the the negative environment that was swirling around them in Jerusalem through not only the Romans but the, the Jewish leaders as well. They met. And so Peter and John went to their own people. You're my own people, you know. I meet with you on a regular basis. I meet with other people on a regular basis who are Christ followers. And what it says is that Peter reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Peter was reporting, and I'm sure they probably knew this anyway, but Peter was reporting everything that had transpired on that beautiful day when they were going to the temple to pray at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And there they met a man who had been lame from birth 40 plus years. And here was this man who had been laid by the beautiful gate going into Solomon's portico there into the temple of Jerusalem. And this man had never walked a day in his life 
His legs were atrophied. And yet it was this miracle that God performed. Peter said, silver and gold, I don't really have any of that. But what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And the man, the Bible says, leaped to his feet. And as he leaped to his feet, his body was strengthened. His legs were strong. He was walking on legs that he had not walked on ever in his life. And the Bible says he not only walked, but he leaped. I'm sure he ran into the temple, praising God, because he knew from whence came the power to heal his body. And so they were relating all of this, and then they were talking about, as a result of this healing, how many thousands of men, and in addition to women and children, came to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they, he talked about how the Sadducees, the, the ruling party of the Sanhedrin, that, that body of men, 70 plus the high priest, were, came to arrest him. The temple police, the temple captain came and, and put them in prison overnight because there was not enough time to convene the council. And so the next morning they brought Peter and John and the lame man, or the formerly lame man, before them. And as Peter and John are relating this to all the people there, he began saying, now let me tell you, they told us that under no circumstances should you speak in the name of Jesus anymore because we killed him two months ago. We saw him die. We saw him buried. We don't believe that he was resurrected, they would say, but we don't want you speaking. We've done away with Jesus of Nazareth. We don't want anything to do with him. We don't want to hear anybody speak in his name. We don't want to hear you say anything else in Jesus' name, and yet you're behaving just like he did. So we want it stopped, cease and desist. To which Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And he said, and they were probably saying, and as far as we're concerned, that's the way it's going to be. Now the Sanhedrin cautioned them again, whatever you do, there are, there are going to be punishment. There's going to be a uh, price to pay if you continue to speak in the name of Jesus. Peter and John said, so be it. Give it your best shot, sport. That's the way I feel about it, man. I'm telling you. Fired up about this, this particular sermon because when they heard this, the people who had gathered together, look at what they said. They all raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now, they were all unified. There was a, a united voice. The power of that particular people was because of their unity. But I want you to see what Peter and John did not do. They went to their own people. There's nothing there that suggests that they organized a protest against the Sanhedrin. They did not organize a demonstration against the Jewish people or against the Roman government. There was no rebellion. And I'm sure there were plenty of people in all three cases that would have been glad to have followed them in, in any instance. Well, 
you need to understand that the greatest concentration of power in all of Jerusalem was gathered together in that room because the power is in God alone. And the power of prayer is something that we in our Christian uh, churches today still have uh, yet to harness because God so wants to glorify himself. And yet when we come together to pray, it's, it's as though it's kind of a casual time. We don't really approach the throne of grace boldly. Sometimes we don't approach the throne of grace at all. And if we do, it's through timidity. And it's through caution. Well, there's that greatest concentration of power in all of Jerusalem. They raise their voices together in prayer to God. One heart, one mind. Now what happens in the church is the enemy gets, gets in there, Satan. He starts whispering innuendos and gossips and things of this nature, and or he begins to uh, to disquiet people in their own spirit. Uh, they they begin to look at everything but Jesus. They look at the the paint. They look at the pews. They look at the floor. They look at the backdrop. They look at the singing. They, somebody was off key. There's a word that's being misspelled here. There's something that's going on on the screen that's not exactly right. I wouldn't have played that. I wouldn't have sung that song. And so we take our eyes off of Jesus. And when there is disunity in the church, when there is division, the church is always robbed of its power because God wants that united heart and mind and soul raised together for His glory. Not for anybody else's, but for His glory. Not for anybody else's recognition, but for His glory, for His power. And that's what they were doing. They were honoring the Lord God because they knew who was responsible for the healings. Well, then he, they say, they said, Sovereign Lord. That's an interesting word in the Greek text you need to know. The word in the Greek is the word that we translate despot. Despot. You know what that means in the Greek? It means absolute authority. It means the same thing today, but we usually have negative connotations to it. But in the Greek, it meant, Sovereign Lord, you are the one. You are the Alpha. You are the Omega. You are the end of all words. You are the final word in everything. You are complete control over us as a congregation, over us as individuals. Sovereign Lord. They said, absolute authority. He said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You were the creator of the universe. You created a planet earth. You created our, our dry land. You created the waters. You created the seas. Everything is all about you. He says, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Interestingly enough, they quote Psalms 2. Why do nations rage and the people plot in vain? Some say this was David's uh, inauguration uh, psalm, psalm that was shortly thereafter he ascended to the throne. And he is seeing in his own reign, in his own rule, he is seeing nations rage against him, nations rage against Israel, as they said. And so they can identify with King David to the extent that they have seen nations 
the Roman Empire, the Jewish leaders and so forth, and, and the Gentile nations all consort together to crucify and kill and bury the only begotten Son of God. So they feel, well, we've got a common ground with, with David. Kind of interesting, there's only two psalms that out of the 150 psalms, there's only two psalms that talk about what makes God laugh. Psalms 2 is one of them. When you read that psalm, psalm what makes God laugh is the way that nations and people turn against him and think it's going to be effective. He laughs. Are you kidding me? I can just, you know, if I, was, if I was sitting by his throne, I could probably hear him going, are you kidding me? He laughs. Well, they continue on. They say, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. What are they saying? The God of history uses his enemies against them to accomplish his purpose. Do you see what that's saying? Look at it again. Pilate, Herod, Pontius Pilate, Roman Empire, met together with the Gentiles, the the non-Jews, as well as the Jews. Everybody was plotting against Jesus. God laughed. What did he do? He used all of their abilities and their supposed powers to turn it against themselves and to accomplish his purpose. Because from the very beginning of the ages, God had it in his heart and mind that there would be his only begotten son sent into this world to live to die on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. And that we, through Jesus, could have a eternal relationship with the Father. He knew that from the very beginning. So it was already done. And so I think about Job. Remember what happened to Job and his situation? Well, Job in chapter 12 begins to talk about God and how God is in control of Job's plight. For the Bible says, To God belong wisdom and power. Counsel and understanding are His. What He tears down cannot be rebuilt. The man He imprisons cannot be released. If He holds back the waters, there is drought. If He lets them loose, they devastate the land. To Him belong strength and victory. Both deceived and deceiver are His. He leads counselors away stripped and makes fools of judges. He silences the lips of trusted advisors and takes away the discernment of elders. He pours contempt on nobles and disarms the mighty. He reveals the deep things of darkness and brings deep shadows into the light. He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and disperses them. He deprives the leaders of the earth of their reason. He sends them wandering through a trackless waste. They grope in darkness with no light. He makes them stagger like drunkards. Wow. 
You believe in a God like that? I pray you do. Because if you believe in a God like that, then you believe that God is in control. He uses everything at His disposal for His purpose. Everything. He uses politicians. He uses viruses. He uses world situations to accomplish His purpose, to promote His mission to mankind that they might know Him through His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Wow. This is what they're saying. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Consider their threats. They prayed in faith, believing the Lord's will is the most important thing there is. Now, they did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. Your will is the most important. Thy will be done, we just sang, on earth as it is in heaven. Your will is the most important thing in our lives, in the life of every person on the face of this earth for all eternity. Interesting thing, as you look at verse 29 and 30, I want you to see something. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. But you didn't see. They did not ask for power to destroy their enemies. You notice that? The people that rise up against Jesus, they didn't ask God to send down fire from heaven and destroy them. They didn't ask for the council of the Sanhedrin to be overturned. They didn't even ask for the Roman Empire to be overthrown. They didn't pray against the emperor. They didn't pray against any of this. What did they pray for? They prayed for boldness to proclaim the gospel. What I pray is that we as a congregation, as a family of God, as a church family, would begin to pray for the boldness to begin to witness to people around us, to tell our neighbors, to tell our families, to give us boldness. Lord, give me the boldness to talk to those people that I know do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Give me the boldness, Lord, that I need. Fill me with the power and the infilling of your Holy Spirit that I'm able to do these things. And Father, you're going to be honored as a result. Consider their threats, but enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They're doing it worldwide. They're doing it in America. God is using all of these things around us. Coronavirus is drawing people to Jesus Christ. People are starting to realize at the very beginning, maybe my time on earth is limited. Maybe there is an expiration date printed on my head. Maybe I'm going to step into eternity very soon. And the coronavirus has sequestered or quarantined people in their homes to where they are actually getting Bible studies online and hearing good messages from the Lord. These riots are drawing people to the Lord. It's causing believers and non-believers alike to reevaluate their lives. God uses everything. Uh, you know, you see people that are just full of themselves, that are creating the, the chaos and disturbances, or those who are answering in a fashion that are in leadership positions or are choosing not to answer at all. God's using all of that. He is. 
What does he ask us to do? He's asking us to be bold in presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. When somebody comes to you and says, what do you think about this coronavirus? What do you think about these riots in the street? What do you think about the lack of of response? What's your answer? I don't know. Just throw up my hands. I don't know where God is in all of this. No, that's not your answer. Your answer is, let me tell you what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing in and through this situation. You're going to see people turn to Him that have never known Him. You're going to see people become solidified in their faith, in their walk. You're going to see it, and you're going to experience it. This is what they're praying. Lord, just give us boldness. Give us boldness. R.A. Torrey said it this way. Pray for great things, expect great things, work for great things, but above all, pray. Well, let me just take a little side note here. There are two schools of thought that are alive and well today, theologically. There's that one that says, well, I believe that God predestines everything. I'm going to sit over here on my laurels and let God do what he does. I'm not going to be involved in anything. You know, God did it. As they told William Carey in his missionary endeavor, if God wanted them saved, he'd do it himself. So just don't worry about people. Then there's that other that feel the responsibility. There's that other end where they feel that maybe God has just given us the Great Commission and walked off and and left us alone and it's always up to us. He's not involved. No, there's a middle ground there, folks, right there. Augustine said it this way, work as though nothing can happen without you. Pray as though nothing can happen without God. And it's in that vein that we look, we pray for great things, we expect great things, we work for great things, but above all, pray. And what are they praying for? Look at verse 30. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What are they talking about? They've got this man. They've heard the, the, the healing on this lame man for 40 plus years. And they saw what happened when that miracle occurred. Thousands of people came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So they're saying, Lord, whatever it takes, you've got all of these things, you've got all of these tools in your toolbox Use signs, use wonders, use healings, whatever it is. What are they saying? Do it again, Lord. Do it again. That was great. If they could high-five God, they would have done it then. That was awesome. Did you see what happened? You did see what happened because you made it happen. Do it again, Lord. This is what we're, And we're going to pray for boldness to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ knowing that there are going to be miracles and wonders and signs all over the place. I'm hearing all about miraculous healings all the time. I was just on a phone call with, uh, uh, on Zoom with some of our missionary leaders over in Africa. One man had his nephew's all were kidnapped and taken away. Didn't think he'd see them again. They walked home a few days later. Another guy said, one of our coordinators in Africa said, his son caught malaria and went through, I won't go through the whole issue, but went into a coma on Wednesday. There was no life signs in him. 
His eyes were open. There was no movement. And he said, I heard my wife in that room pray out loud, God, if you're going to take my son home, prepare my heart now because I need preparation. And he said, five days later, his son walked out of the hospital. He went back the next day and the doctor said, we find nothing wrong with him. Nothing. Do it again, Lord. That's great. How many people are you going to lead to Jesus Christ as a result of that boy's healing? How many people are going to become uh, closer to the Lord as a result of these signs and miracles that are all around us? They're everywhere, folks. They're like neon lights flashing that God is alive and well and working in our world and in our community. Wow. You see, only God protects a nation. It's not the government that protects a nation. It's not our founding fathers. It's not our documents. None of that. These are necessary according to the Scripture. But ultimately, it's the Lord God alone. He's the one that causes governments and nations to rise, and they fall. Arnold Toynbee said it this way. He counted 26 civilizations that have come and gone. They failed because they were not built on righteousness. A righteous nation exalts the Lord. We look to God first, foremost, and last for the answers to our predicament. We humble ourselves before Him. We pray and we seek His face. We turn from our wicked ways. And then He heals our land. Wow. So what is our task? We are the sowers of the seed. As they said, Lord, just allow us to speak Your Word boldly. That's all we want to do. We've been planted here in Sun City Center and beyond Worldwide, whoever's watching this, whatever you do, bloom where you're planted for the Lord, for His glory. Be bold in your witness, both living and verbal. Be bold. And look at the result. Verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. This was not another Pentecost. There's only going to be one Pentecost just like there's only one Calvary. They spoke, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were permeated by His influence, and they spoke the Word of God boldly. You and I are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to speak the Word of God boldly. He's going to answer our prayer. Why? Because it's not His desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's desire is for mankind, man and woman, young and old, of any culture, of any age, humans, to come to know Him as their personal Lord and Savior so that they can reside with Him in heaven. My Father's house is big enough for this world. I would love to see seven billion people walk into the gates of heaven because of the witness of those believers. What a blessing that would be. Or maybe you're here this morning and or you're listening to this telecast. You've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You never have done that. Today, 
Don't allow another moment to go by without trusting Him. Maybe you're looking for a church home. Let me ask you, if you're looking for a church home, don't wait any longer. Either acknowledge it on that pink card that's in front of you, give me a call, email me, text me, do something, let me know that you'd like to unite with this church family, and I'll make it happen. Then for all of us, in a spirit of rededication, we should all be praying together, united in heart, mind, and soul, to pray to be a bold witness for the sake of Jesus Christ. That's my prayer today. Would you stand with me as we pray? Our most gracious Father, we ask you to come by your grace to us today. Lord, today, may we honor and glorify you with our decisions. May we not hesitate any longer to do what you've asked us to do. Lord, be with us today, and thank you. Father, I know there are decisions being made in living rooms, here in this building, and other places throughout the world. Lord, we just lift these decisions up to you. Use them for your glory. Help them in their testimony to be bold. Thank you for what you're accomplishing here. Be with us now. May we honor and glorify you above all things, Lord Jesus. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. May the Lord Jesus Christ just bless you beyond anything you can comprehend. But be bold in your witness. And God bless you this week.